How many of you remember back in the 1970s? Okay, that's probably a bad way to start off the sermon, asking people if they remember the 1970s. That can go a few different ways. Uh, back in the 1970s and 80s, there were some great cartoons on Sunday mornings. But every Saturday, uh, Saturday morning, every Saturday morning between the cartoons, there was a few minute long educational cartoon called Schoolhouse Rock. How many of you remember Schoolhouse Rock? All right. So, so you remember uh, somebody. Now, if you don't know what it is, you can check it out on Disney+. Plus. They've got it there. Uh, some of us learned our multiplication tables in Schoolhouse Rock. Things like three is a magic number. Remember that? Three, six, nine, 12, 15, 18. Okay, come on. Some of you guys, y'all raise your hand. You remember these songs. How about I'm just a bill? I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. There you go. Uh, and of course, the preamble to the Constitution, we all learned as well. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union. Yeah, you're getting it. You're getting it. All right. Well, today, since we've been in this uh, unstoppable series and talking about trains, uh, we've got this uh, Conjunction Junction. Found this t-shirt on Amazon. Thought it looked pretty good. Uh, and so today, you remember Conjunction Junction? Conjunction Junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and phrases and clauses. Yes, now you're seeing why I'm not going to be applying for our worship ministry position has come open, right? Uh, so, so the, but the conjunction junction was all about hooking up words and phrases and clauses. And according to conjunction junction, the engineer, uh, what he said is that he had three major words that did the heavy lifting. Do you remember what those three words are? And but or very good. You guys paid attention. You see the power of song in that amazing. Uh, maybe just the power of getting me. Hey, just just tell him what he wants to hear, so he won't <laughs> sing again, right? <laughs> so and but and or are the three major conjunctions in the English language. And come to find out that this sermon that we look at today from the book of Philippians, it can be understood with those three conjunctions: and, but, and or. And so we've been continuing our unstoppable sermon series to the book of Philippians, where we're talking about our, our finances and how God has been blessing our finances and how we want to see God continue to work to create a healthy financial situation in our church. Uh, and if you are a guest with us today, this isn't something that's necessarily that we're asking you to participate in. This is something that's more uh, for our church members. But you can grow an awful lot through this message, I do believe, as well as we, we go through it. But week one of our series, we talked, took a look at our unstoppable identity. And we talked about how in Philippians 1, how Jesus promises us, that God promised us that Jesus will do this work in us, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And how while we are partners with God for the church and for the work of the church, ultimately we see that God does the heavy lifting there in the church, that he is the one who is faithful to carry it to completion. And then last week we took a look at Philippians 2 about Jesus and his sacrifice and that unstoppable humility that we can have when we take on the nature of Christ, when we take on his attitude. And we learned how, um, how one of the ways that we can grow in our unstoppable humility is by giving our first and our best back to God, as that helps reset our system around how God has wired us to be. But Philippians 3 is all about our identity. One of the common themes in the New Testament is that how many people tried to hijack the identity of the early church. They tried to make them, uh, the early church came out of Judaism. They were uh, Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, 
but so many people tried to force some of the Jewish law back on the new Gentile believers. And Paul, even though he was uh, deeply ingrained in Judaism, uh, he's telling the church to watch out for those dogs, is what he says, those mutilators of the flesh who are trying to force circumcision on people. Uh, and he goes on to talk about our identity. And we're going to look at this today and these three major conjunctions, and, but, and, or. Starting in Philippians 3, verse 4, we see that Paul says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And Paul's going to list out seven different things here that make him uh, more Jewish than everybody else, basically. All these accomplishments, all these pieces of his identity, all the things of his birthright. And so he goes on to say, circumcised on the eighth day and of the people of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin and a Hebrew of Hebrews and in regard to the law of Pharisee and as for zeal persecuting the church and as for righteousness based on the law faultless. And so here we see that Paul is he's laying out all these lists of all the ands that he's completed in his life, all the boxes that he checks. Basically, he's going to turn this on its head and say, but all these things are worthless. And so the and, the conjunction that we have here is that there are never enough ands in our life to find our true identity. Now, there are several areas where we try to find our true identity outside of Jesus Christ. One of the things that Paul was dealing with was nationalism here. People wanted to see uh, the Jewish race step back up and to become, a, become the dominant race above all the rest of them uh, in his day and time. And so we deal with nationalism today. That's part of what the whole war over in Ukraine is about. It's about nationalism from Russia. And we've seen nationalism in our own country. America is a great country. But let me tell you what, if you're trying to find your identity in America alone, you're going to be in trouble. It's going to leave you empty. A second way that we place that we try to find our identity is in materialism. We try to find this and that and one more thing and another thing on top of that. And when we do that, we try to build up and our closets and our garages might get more full, but our hearts don't ever. It ends up leaving us empty in materialism. Another way that we try to find our identity is in morality where oftentimes we try to be more moral than the next person. We try to be better than the Joneses. But the problem with that is, is that it's just self-righteousness. And God calls us to be the light of the world, not to shine the light in people's eyes to blind them, but to show them the way instead. And when we're trying to do that morally on our own, what happens is we become really legalistic. We might be crossing off the morality checklist, but our hearts end up being very far from God. And so I ask you today, what are the ands in your life? What are the things that you've been trying to build up to find your identity in? If it's not in Jesus Christ, let me save you some time and tell you, if it's not in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, you will come up short of ever finding a true identity in those things. You might find happiness for a little while, but you will never find peace. That's the ands. But the second conjunction that we find is but. And this one's really clear. Starting in verse 7, after Paul gives us that big long list of all the accomplishments that he had, he says, but. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Now this word here for garbage, it's an interesting word. If there's ever a trivia question that tells you that there's a cuss word in the Bible, this is the cuss word, okay? It literally is a cuss word that we can't translate into English, otherwise we'd make everybody in church really uncomfortable, but it literally means animal manure, okay? It is horse dung, it is donkey poop, okay? That's what we're talking about here. Paul says all those accomplishments, all that it is, is it is, it is dog excrement. Have I made myself clear here on what this word here? It is bull hockey, yes. Francis Chan, a, a preacher who I have a lot of respect for, he said the following when preaching on this passage. He says, a lot of people come to church for the wrong reasons. They don't come because they want to know Jesus. They come because they want something from him. Did you come here for him? Maybe you didn't. Maybe you came because of something else. We're glad you're here. But the question is, is once you get here, what are you after? What makes you come back? Churches fill their rooms every week with promises of money or health. People go to church if God will heal me. People go to church if God will heal my child. People will go to church if God will get me a job in this economy. Overseas, this heresy is preached all over. And in impoverished nations, the preachers are promising people that if they follow Jesus, he'll make them rich. Some people are coming to church in droves thinking, I'll take Jesus if he makes me rich. I'll take Jesus if I get to keep all the things that I have. I'll take Jesus if I get to maintain this lifestyle. I'll take Jesus if I get to hold on to some of these sins, these immoral relationships. I'll take Jesus if I can still be popular, have this, still have that. The biblical gospel has never been about all come to Jesus if. The biblical gospel has always been about all follow Jesus even if. Even if I lose my family, even if my health deteriorates, even if people are throwing rocks at me, even if I lose everything I own, I still want Jesus because he's that great. That's the biblical gospel. We have found a treasure in Jesus Christ that's so wonderful that with great joy we say, take everything, I don't care, it's just a big load of crap anyway. That's Francis Chan's words, not my own, but I agree with them. We see this passage, I have considered them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And he goes on to say, I want to know Christ, Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, to which we all say, amen, I want to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the next sentence, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining resurrection from the dead. Wow. I want to be like Christ in his resurrection, but the participation of his sufferings, what Paul is saying, Paul's writing this from a prison cell. Paul's not writing this from a palace. Paul's not writing this when he has everything that he thinks that he needs. Paul is writing this when he's under house arrest, 
when he's got Roman soldiers who are threatening to kill him each day, and he, while he winds up dying is through the hands of the Roman soldiers. And he's saying that somehow this fellowship of his sufferings is somehow making him more like Jesus Christ. That may not be popular, but you know what it is? It is true. So there are never enough ands in your life to find your true identity, but you can find your identity in Jesus Christ. You can find your identity in Christ, and in Christ alone our hope is found. Paul continues in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal. Paul knows that it's a lifelong journey, isn't it? This isn't something that you just get one day. Yes, we receive our salvation and we receive our salvation in full. We're just as saved on day one as we are on day 101 or 1,001 or 10,001. But as we are seeking to become like Christ, it's a journey. Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So we've talked about the ands and the buts, but the or is this. Will you choose to find your identity in what is behind you or in what is in front of you? And what is behind you or what is in front of you. I don't know how much you've been looking at your windshield lately. But the windshield of your car, if you've noticed, and this is something I found peculiar about cars, they're all kind of the same, is that the windshield takes up about 95% of your vision. And then the rear view mirror takes up about 5% of your vision. Have you noticed this before? This is very essential to keep us from getting in wrecks. Can you imagine if our rearview mirror took up 95% of our vision and our, rear, and our windshield was only 5%? We could drive really fast backwards, but that's about it, isn't it? It would be a dangerous thing to have a car with a huge rearview mirror that took up what is in front of us because we understand when we're driving a car that what is behind us, yeah, we need to keep track of that, but what's in front of us is what's really important because that's what we're about ready to hit at 70 miles an hour, correct? But how many of us are living our lives with a 95% rearview mirror in front of us? and only a 5% windshield. How many of us are living our lives with the vision for everything that's happened behind us instead of everything that's going on in front of us? How many of us are living our lives with all the sin that we committed and looking at that instead of looking at the salvation that we have? How many of us are looking at all the successes that we have behind us instead of saying, no, but that doesn't matter. What really matters is that I find my identity in Christ and in Him alone, and that's what I'm pursuing. This time of year is really rough on me. It's really rough on me because there's a lot of basketball games to watch and only so much day to watch them in. But it's rough on me because every time this year, I think back to my days of playing high school and college basketball, and I have these dreams. 
And I have these dreams in the middle of the night where I'm showing up to play basketball with my high school or my college team. And everything is the same that it was except for me. And I show up with this girlish figure that I have right now, okay? Because I used to be, believe it or not, I used to be about 50 pounds lighter than what I am now. I used to be able to jump really good. But what happens in these dreams inevitably is I show up with 43-year-old Dustin instead of 18-year-old Dustin. And I try to get up and down the court. I try to dunk a basketball. And do you know what happens? I fail or I wind up sucking wind after one trip up and down the court. That's all I've got. You see, there's something in my mind that's dialed in still to what life used to be for me back when I was growing up. And my guess is, is there's more serious things for all of us as well than just dreaming back to your glory days. There are more serious things where you're looking in the rearview mirror as if it's your future. Church, your rearview mirror is not your future. Your future is in Christ and in Christ alone. He is where we find our identity. He is where we find our peace. He is where we find our hope. If Paul can say that in the midst of the prison, then whatever prison it is that you're living in, you can say it in the midst of as well. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So we've talked about our ands. There's never enough ands in your life to find your identity. We've talked about our buts, but you can find your identity in Jesus Christ. But we conclude by talking about our or. Will you choose to find your identity in what is behind you or in what is in front of you? What is behind you or what is in front of you? Now, I know that some of you are really disappointed right now. Because you're saying, Dustin, I thought this was going to be a sermon about money, and you haven't talked about money one time yet. We came to hear about money, Dustin. We came to hear about that. Are any of you, the rest of you disappointed in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me just bring it home in what this talks about. And my hope is not that just you get convicted about finances today. My hope is that you get convicted about whatever God needs to convict you of, that the Holy Spirit speaks to you, But since we're doing this stewardship emphasis, and since we're talking about our finances, here's what this has to do with money. A few weeks ago, Rachel Polly, in her Only God Can story, she quoted, I believe it was Pastor J.D. Greer, who said, either Jesus is Lord of all, or he isn't Lord at all. Either Jesus is Lord of all, or he isn't Lord of all. And the reality is, is that stewardship is a part of lordship. That idea of stewardship actually goes back Uh, to when there used to be people who owned castles, when there used to be kingdoms and castles, and each castle would have a steward. That was the person who was responsible for watching over the castle when the king or whenever the head honcho, whatever his title might have been, was gone. And what we believe is that that's what that means for us, is that while Jesus is away, we are stewards of what he has entrusted to us. We are stewards of this body. We are stewards of the physical body. We are stewards of everything that God has entrusted to us through physical resources. That includes our finances. And so as we go on this journey of making Jesus Lord of all, including our finances, we've challenged you to go on a selfless giving journey. Wherever you're at on this journey, to take the next step. The selfless giving journey has four steps. The first step is to give something. The next step, after giving something, excuse me, 
is to give something regularly. Not just give it one time, but on a regular basis, whether you give weekly or whether you give monthly, to give something regularly. The next step in that is to give a tithe, to give 10%. That's what a tithe is called in Scripture. And the final step is to give radically, to recognize that God owns it all and that we're not just going to stop at a tithe, but we're going to do our best to give everything that we have, however that looks, whatever that amounts to being, back to God. I knew a couple that uh, uh, was not wealthy by any means. They both had average jobs, but they made a commitment the first year of marriage to tithe and then to give an extra percentage each year. So, uh, so after 20 years of marriage, they were given 30%. They've been married for over 50 years at this point in their life. And you know what? God hasn't let them down yet. That's amazing, isn't it? But as we talked about this last week, I know a lot of people were really encouraged when I talked about working your way towards a tithe and how important it is to take those steps to get there. Here's what I want to encourage you with, though. I have never seen anybody work themselves towards a tithe when they did it and when they tried to do it in more than a year's time. It just doesn't work that well that way. It's a little bit like if you're saying, hey, I'm going to lose 50 pounds, but I'm going to do it over the next 10 years. That's my goal. <laughs> that wouldn't work, would it? No, if you're going to go on a diet, you've got to go on a diet and you've got to hit it pretty hard. You've got to do it over the course of like six months to a year. That's very similar to that attitude of tithing. It takes time. It can take some time and that's okay. But you need to make sure that you don't try to stretch it out too far. Otherwise, you'll get stuck along the way. We've been asking you to prayerfully consider giving in three following ways on our Commitment Sunday on April 3rd. The first is courageously. To give courageously. That means to give the single biggest gift you've ever given to a church on April 3rd towards our, towards our unstoppable campaign. The second one is to give consistently. What that means to give consistently is to give consistently. This one isn't that hard, is it? But to give weekly or monthly, however it is we choose to give, uh, in, in order to help build up. And we talked about that last week, that if you choose to give like 200 bucks uh, you know, a month, then over the course of 25 months, that adds up to 5,000. It all really does add up quickly. And the final way is to give creatively. Maybe there's something that you own that you can sell. Maybe there's stock that you own that you can sell and give to the church in order to help us to meet our goal. Our home run goal of $500,000 or our grand slam goal of $1 million. And I heard this story this week. Several months ago, Ed Robinson, one of our elders, began working to bring his adopted sons back to Columbus, which has been quite a journey that many of you have helped them on in some way, shape, or form. But now we welcome Corey and Sean as part of our church family and are grateful for their presence here. Here's what Ed says. He says, Pam and I have shared with our sons during our impromptu family discussions pertaining to how several things have been trying to accomplish in processing their paperwork and explained how God has blessed us by putting people in our path to help us through this time such as family and friends, especially church members, giving monetary, monetary gifts, clothing, bedding, etc. We've filled out many forms, made appointments and interviews with such organizations like Jobs and Family Services, Medicaid, Access Ohio, Social Security, and other necessary resources that may access us 
uh, or assess us, excuse me, in preparing them for assisted living and life without us. Corey and Sean are aware of this. One morning, Sean said, Miss Pam, you know what Pastor Dustin was saying about us selling something we really don't need and maybe give it to the church? Pam, of course, replied yes, waiting for Sean's follow-up. Well, I'd like to sell a pair of my tennis shoes and give the money to the church for help. Pam and I were first shocked that he was listening to the sermon. <laughs> and secondly, that he would give up a brand new pair of his Kobe Bryant tennis shoes that were gifted to him two years ago when they were way too big for him. Of course, we both felt pride and joy in what he wanted to give. Sean asked how to post them on the internet and sell them, and so we did. And after researching their worth, we found that some were going for as much as $800. Then there, there were some that were going for less. And Sean has two pairs of Nike uh, Kobe Mamba Focus that are going for as much as $400 a pair. So Sean decided to give half of whatever he receives to the church. This money has all been a blessing, and now Corey and Sean both want to give back to the one who has given them. What a wonderful only God can moment. Amen. Amen. As we close off the message, I'm going to ask Josiah Emmel, who is our campaign director, uh, who's been doing a great job for us along with the team. Would you give Josiah a hand as he comes up and shares with us here? Good morning, East Point. Oh, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about our, our story for my wife and I um, and where we are um, and what Dustin's trying to lead all of us through. This is a, this is a big deal. Um, but the way I initially responded wasn't how, how I expected. Um, before we jump into that, there, there are a few things that uh, really keep me grounded as a believer, especially when it comes to big decisions or things I don't understand why, why they're taking place. Um, that is that God is good. He's in control. And he owns everything. It is all his. Um, this planet, your food, your cars, your money, your worship, your praise, and even your faith comes from him initially. Um, so it's all his. Uh, but even though these things have kept me grounded for, for a long time, um, I grew up in a really small church. And we, we, we tithed, but there was no conversation of um, uh, significant amounts of money. We, we just focused on our little tiny community. So... Um, so my, my reaction, and I really appreciate how Dustin responded to this, because this was all internal. It was my flesh. It was my head. It wasn't really from my spirit, but I was irritated and a, a little bit about, well, I, you know, we just got to this church. Like, we didn't build that building. Like, why, why, would we, why should we be doing this? So all these weird thoughts came through my mind, and then I looked at my wife. I was like, he asked me to be on the campaign, and I'm, like, already doubting everything that we're doing. I'm like, that can't be a good start to this. So like any good wife, she said, you know what you need to do? And then I responded, what? <laughs> and in all her wisdom, there's a reason in Proverbs it refers to wisdom as a, a she. Um, she said, you need to talk to Dustin. So I talked to Dustin, and uh, he made me feel very normal by saying, it's okay. We all felt the same way, me and the elders. We just felt it a lot sooner than you did. So I, I appreciated that. And then I started thinking about, okay, well, what do we want to give? And then I thought, okay, well, here's how much we make, and you know, I've got, you've got to raise every year. And so I just started thinking the basic stuff in my head, did some quick math, and said, okay, we can swing that. But at no point in time did I take a step back and get quiet before the Lord. No point did I start actually praying and, and diving in deep and trying to hear his voice and asking Jen to do this alongside me. We didn't, we didn't do that. And I've been, I've been a believer for a long time, and it's funny that we can still get into situations where it takes somebody else saying, hey, man, did you pray about that? And you're like, oh, I guess I forgot to do that. And, um, but realistically, all this was coming from my head and my, my flesh, and flesh 
turns into, in a roundabout way, it's sin. It separates you from God. So if I'm using my own strength and my own you know, abilities to try to focus on what we can do, it's probably, I'm going to come up short every time. So we started to pray, and we started to dive in. And then the Holy Spirit, and being in a couple of other meetings with our team, prompted me, every time I've asked you to do something like this, I've talked to you and Jen separately and prompted you to give here or serve that person or bless that person. I'm not saying all the time, but it's happened over the years. And he talked to us separately, and then we would come together, and we had the exact same answer. That, that means that God, through his spirit, decided to communicate to us and give us direction and then if we obey it, we're under his will. And if we're under his will, you cannot fail. Amen. He is unstoppable. He, he can do anything. And if you just align yourself to that, you're good. He's not going to let anything bad happen. He says this in scripture in Romans. If God is for us, then who can be against us? In Proverbs, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. So we are still praying as we lead up to April 3rd to try to figure out what we're going to do. And God doesn't always speak to us in the exact same way every time. But I have learned, because I take a little bit of time like a lot of guys do to come around. But um, he repeats himself. Um, I don't like when my kids do that, but I'm appreciative when he does. Um, but he, he repeats himself until it gets a little bit louder or makes it a little more clear in your mind. And then it's the only thing you can think about. And then you realize, okay, that's, that's Father's voice. He's, he's really trying to help me understand this. Sorry, I'm slow, Lord. We'll get there, right? Um, so we're still doing that. And why this is really, just to wrap this up, this is why this is so important to us. Coming from a church that didn't do any of this, right? Um, we needed a spiritual family to come and connect with, to pour into us, and that we could in turn pour into others. And my wife needed connection. She needed connection. And she got that. She's got some sisters in this church now that have just completely changed her, her, her life, her walk, her, her self-worth and value. Um, and man, it's been powerful. It's been rich and good. And um, that, that's why this has become significant to us. Not for the facility, but this family and this community that we're trying to, to be a part of. Wrap it up with a psalm. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the sun, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord, and the Lord, and, and wait patiently for him. So my encouragement is to simply just remind everyone that, that God is good. He's in control. All of this is his anyway. So get still before the Lord and just find out what he's asking of you. Uh, thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the voices that we've heard this morning. We thank you for the way that you are working in our church. And we pray, Lord, that you lead us by your Holy Spirit. We know that you are faithful, that you are good, and that you will lead us to the place that you have us to be. And so we pray, Lord, that we can forget everything that's behind us and that we can press on towards the goal for what you have called us heavenward for in Christ Jesus. We thank you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, as we wrap up the service, it is a few things I want to let you know about. First of all, immediately after the service, we have an all-aboard event uh, to hear more about the stewardship campaign that we're doing. It's a potluck. If you would like to come join us, uh, please do. It's in the atrium afterwards at 1215. 
Uh, if you uh, happen to not bring something, that's okay. We have plenty of food. Please feel free to stay and to join us again at 1215. Now, that also means that we might be kind of rushing the rest of you out of church this morning. That's not something we like to do. We like to keep you here as long as we can, uh, but that's just for the sake of noise and everything else in there that we'll have. Uh, and so, uh, so just please be mindful of that after church. But we'd love to have you come join us at 1215. Uh, also, out in the foyer, uh, you'll see that we have a sign-up there for our Unstoppable Day of Prayer, April 1st and 2nd, from 6 p.m. April 1st to 6 p.m. April 2nd. We're looking for people to take half-hour shifts to pray. It's going to be pray where you're at. Uh, we're not going to get everybody all together uh, throughout those times. Uh, we're not going to have like a Zoom call or anything like that. We will have on April 2nd at 5 p.m., we will have a corporate time of prayer together uh, here at the church, followed by a potluck, because apparently we like to eat in this church, which is good, uh, especially after our day of fasting. Uh, but that'll be uh, out there. You can sign up for those individual time slots, half-hour time slots. We'd love to have you sign up for one of those after the service. Um, Finally, if you are a guest with us today, we're so thankful that you have joined us, uh, and we would ask that if you would like to connect more with us, I'll be available after the service. I'd love to talk to you more, hear more about your story, and to see how we can help you in your walk with Christ. Uh, and uh, as we conclude the service today, um, Chris and Ira Vilwalk are some of our missionaries that we support. They serve in Hungary, uh, which is not too far from the things that are going on in Ukraine. They've been reaching out across the Ukrainian border uh, and helping to share the gospel with people who are fleeing, but they also have seven refugees that they're housing in their home, uh, and uh, we have sent them out of our 10% tithe that we give to missions, we have sent them an additional $1,000 in order to help them, and uh, we'll continue to bless them uh, as they have the need for that family. But please be praying for Chris and Ira and their family as they minister to this Ukrainian family in need. And so we want to close off the service today uh, with this video in Ukrainian, which is a prayer for the Ukrainian people with the subtitles. Боже милосердний, вічний, незмінний, у цей складний для нас час благає Твої допомоги. Ти знаєш, що народ України страждає від війни. Ти знаєш, що підлість боку Росії розв'язати це несправедливе та незаконне кровопролиття. Прошу, ти полегши страждання кожного, хто лишився своєю селі, кожного, хто втратив близьких. Ти захисти кожну дитину, яка лишається батьків. Ти даруй сили жінкам, які зараз чекають своїх чоловіків. Ти благослови та даруй мужність нашим чоловікам, які захищають нас та наше життя. Боже, я знаю, що кожна подія не трапляється без Твоєї волі, та Ти робиш насамперед все для користі душі. Ти дивишся не так, як людина, бо Ти бачиш серце, серце кожного. Благай зупини цю безглузду війну, бо життя безцінне. Але даруй пам'ятати, що ніхто не зможе забрати душу. Даруй нам змиритися перед Тобою, зрозуміти, що ми грішні та заслуговуємо гніву Твого. Але можемо мати вічне життя завдяки Сину Твоєму Ісусу, який віддав своє життя за грішних людей. Даруй, будь ласка, милості повернутися додому та за все віддати славу Тобі. Будь завжди прославлений, Отець, Син і Дух Святий, молилася до Тебе в ім'я Ісуса Христа. Аминь.